Beloved, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. As we continue our walk through this magnificent letter, one of the elements, one of the powerful dynamics the Apostle Paul brings out powerfully is the newness of life that we enjoy in Christ. And now as we're getting towards the latter portion of the letter, Paul applies that and tells us and reminds us that this new life that we enjoy in Christ means that we should have a new lifestyle, a new home. It means we should be a new kind of child, a new kind of parent, a new kind of employee or a new kind of employer, a new kind of citizen in the country in which we live. And nowhere should the social aspect of the new man be more evident than in the single most important social institution in the world, the first and foundational institution of marriage between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife. As we go through Scripture, we understand that marriage in the eyes of God is permanent, it's sacred, it's intimate, it's mutual, and it is exclusive. The model of a well-run household provides a foundation for a well-run church. We have no witness to the world if we can't transform our own homes. We understand that when we look at the pastoral epistles in 1 Timothy and Titus, we realize that the first sine qua non qualification for a man that would be a pastor or be an elder is he must be a one-woman man. He must be a good manager of his own household. Now, we understand because this is so centrally important in the mind and in the plan of God, it is the number one target of the enemy, of Satan, of the world. And there are many who would dearly love to carve the tombstone for the family. It was in the year of our Lord, 1969, when no-fault divorce became law, began to become law. Prior to that, when a, for a court to approve a divorce, one of the spouses, the one that's bringing the divorce proceedings, would have to prove that the other spouse committed adultery or did something wrong. In 1970, there was a feminist manifesto called Sexual Politics by a woman named Kate Millett where she said, families are, quote, nothing more than a tool for the impression and enslavement of women. In her 1995 book, It Takes a Village, Hillary Clinton espoused a global village world of state-sponsored parenting. Or, to come closer to the day, until September 2020, last year, the Black Lives Matter website called for the destruction of the family on their website with these words. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages. Now, the founders who describe themselves as, quote, trained Marxists, removed this language when a 10-year veteran NFL lineman named Marcellus Wiley blasted their attack on the family. Mr. Wiley cited how blessed he was to come from a tight-knit household. And he continued, he said, quote, my family structure is now so vitally important to me, being a father and a husband, that's my mission in life right now. And we would say a hearty amen to that. 
Beloved, please look at Ephesians chapter 5. Our passage this morning is verse 22 in the first part of 23. But I'm going to read verses 22 through 24, which is God's word to wives. This is the word of God, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Beloved, this is the word of God that has been read in your hearing. Please attend to it as such. Now, in this latter half of the second half of this letter, the Apostle Paul has taken a turn and he's focusing on relationships. And in chapter 5, verse 22, through chapter 6, verse 9, he addresses six groups of people in three pairs, wives and husbands in verses 22 through 33, children and parents in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and then slaves and masters or employees and employees employers, if you will, in verses 5 through 9. And it's interesting because there is a disproportionately large section here at the beginning. In one sense, we are not surprised when we realize the fundamental nature and the absolutely essential central importance of the marriage relationship to everything else. We're not surprised, but we do see 12 verses devoted by God through Paul to wives and husbands, compared with four verses to children and parents, and then five verses with slaves and masters. And also, because we husbands are thick-headed, slow to hear and slow to learn, he takes three times as much material to address the husbands, nine verses, versus the three verses to the wife. The good Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his epic seminal sermon series through Ephesians, he spent one sermon on marriage, two to the wives, and then eight to the husbands. I'm actually tracking with him on at least the first two. I don't think I'll take eight to the husbands, but we'll see when we get there. The sermon title for this Sunday and next Sunday is The Wife-to-Be and the Woman-to-Pursue. And part of the intent behind this, to be sure, we see wives being addressed here. So wives, this is the kind of wife you are to be. It's one sliver, one snippet. But we do know that God has so much to say in Scripture, even, for example, as part of our Scripture reading that we did before in Proverbs chapter 31. But we understand as children of God that even when we are reading a portion of Scripture that is directed to a different demographic group or a sermon, we know that it is the Word of God. It is therefore profitable for teaching, training, reproof, and correction. And so, women, wives, this is the kind of wife you are to be. Single women, this is the kind of woman you are to pursue, to aspire to be, not being married per se, but the kind of virtues that are brought out. Single men, with some obvious exceptions, there are tremendous virtues here in terms of what we'll look at with the entirety of Scripture, even as the Proverbs 31 woman that we can aspire. And more to the point, if you are seeking a wife, this is the kind of wife you are to seek. And husbands, this is the kind of wife you are to continue and excel yet more and up your game to encourage and pray and love and support your wife to become even more of what God has called her to be. So, beloved, 
This is the word of God, Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. And it's actually interesting because even as we came away from Father's Day, and I was thinking of the dynamic that very often when pastors do a special message on Mother's Day, it is way more often than not a wonderful message of words of encouragement. And then when you come to Father's Day, it's time for the beatdown to begin. Let the public flogging commence. And there's a certain measure of that where we do understand where the buck stops. But beloved, as we look at this passage, as we look at the entirety of Scripture, God makes it very, very clear. Paul has made it abundantly clear already here in Ephesians that men and women are both made in the image of God and both are redeemed by the grace of God. We are equal in our created dignity and equal in our redemptive privilege and this is an ordered equality ontological equality and an ordered hierarchy ontologically equal in worth and essence yet at the same time there is a hierarchical role relationship and we understand we should understand that the absence of a biblical hierarchy it, what it produces is it establishes an Anarchy, a chaotic anarchy with no one in charge where each man or each woman does what is right in their own eyes. Similar to the nation of Israel in the book of Judges. C.S. Lewis said, the alternative to rule is not freedom, but unconstitutional tyranny of the most selfish member. Again, back here in Ephesians, Paul has made it abundantly clear that we are all one in Christ. We are all equal in Christ. And there still are particular orders. This equality, this one new man, this one new humanity into which all of us have been redeemed does not dissolve away these hierarchies. There are wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters, citizens and governing authorities. And in fact, all of these, these all go back to creation, but they predate even creation. They go back to before time began, even as we sang. Before time began, you are the only God, or something, words along those lines, what we sang before. Consider what Paul, what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. He said, he told that immature church in Corinth, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So, Paul in Corinth, in Corinthians, Paul in Ephesians, Paul elsewhere in Colossians, Peter as well, they go back, 1 Timothy, they go back to creation, but it goes back even into eternity past, into the triune nature of our God himself, with ontologically equality and an ordered, in a hierarchical order. So, Beloved, the two-part outline of these three verses is the wife-husband relationship is an ordered equality based on creation, and it is an ordered equality based on redemption. The first one is the one we'll do this week in part one, an ordered equality based on creation. In verse 22, in the first part of verse 23. Now, as we walk through this, what we will see is a command, a comparison, and a cause. And the intent here is that you will have, if you are married, a healthy, God-honoring marriage, and an even healthier and even more God-honoring marriage. On this side of glory, we are works in 
process. And for all of us, that you wise will know who you are to be and you will know whom to pursue. And beloved, understand this is a beautiful taking a step back, going up to the higher level of this whole section from verse 22 to verse 33 of the wives and the husbands. What we see is a beautiful picture of husbands lovingly leading and wives joyfully submitting. Let's first look at the command that we see at the beginning of verse 22. And as we already hinted towards, the heart of every human relationship and organization is authority and submission. Uh, John Stott, in his great commentary on Ephesians, said these good words. Almost nothing, or I would say observant words, almost nothing is as calculated to arouse more angry protest than talk of submission why is this why is the resistance so strong it's so strong because again it goes back to the first and fundamental to the book of genesis even even before the fall and understand that the resistance comes practically speaking not because this is difficult to understand it comes because it's impossible to misunderstand i said last week in Treatment of verse 21, which is the call, the general call of mutual submission to all believers, that it is perhaps one of the easiest verses to understand and one of the most difficult verses to obey. So, beloved, the material that we're looking at here is radical to the world. It is biblical and it is absolutely essential. And one other wonderful aspect of this is Paul says this gently. And he says it very, very clearly. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Be subject to hupotasso, a, a military phrase or military word, I should say, of a voluntary arranging of yourself under an authority. And the whole structure of verse 22 flows from verse 21. Verse 21 being subject to one another in the fear of Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. So what we see is that the characteristic of submission, which was the fifth characteristic, the, we go back to a command back in verse 18, be filled, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we see different characteristics of what that looks like, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs singing and making melody in our hearts, being thankful, thanking, and being in submission to one another. And the characteristic of submission that we saw in verse 21 to all believers is carried forward in the sense of a command to the wives here in verse 22. One observation we want to make from this is God tells the wives, be subject to your husbands. He doesn't say obey your husbands. There are many liturgical models and even marriage vows that follow along those lines. It's not a huge, egregious uh, error per se, but there is a very subtle and beautiful distinction. The word obey in chapter 6, verse 1, when God commands the children to obey your parents, or chapter 6, verse 5, slaves, be obedient to your masters. The word there means to hear under. It basically means to hear and then obey. It's a stronger, more definite word. But the word here is a voluntary arranging yourself under authority. The relationship here is more intimate, it's more inward. And again, it's the difference between hear and obey 
and voluntarily place yourself, in this case, in obedience to God, under the authority that God has vested to your husband. Now, a few words about biblical submission. Never anywhere in Scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, does submission, biblical submission, mean inferiority, ever. But this is what Satan and the world wants us to believe because Satan and the world wants to destroy the beautiful blessings that is a gift from God of relationship and hierarchy as he has defined it, as he created and is even a reflection of the relationship within the members of the triune Godhead. And when we think of the dignity and the equality of wives or women and children and slaves or employees, there's no better illustration, of course, than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when we look at Jesus and how he treated women, in all the gospel accounts, it's very clear that Jesus loved women, and in the misogynistic cultures to which he ministered, he elevated women to a place of equality. He treated women with honor and respect. Or you can think of children. Remember, there were children that were coming to Jesus, and the disciples and the apostles tried to shoo them away because this man, this promised Messiah, had more important things to do than waste his time with children. But he said, let the children come to me. And in fact, he placed a blessing upon the children. And Jesus taught the dignity of manual labor. He was a carpenter before he began his public ministry, and he washed his disciples' feet. So the dignity of women, the dignity of children, and the dignity of slaves or employees in our vernacular kind of is clearly taught and modeled by Jesus. All are equal before God. Also note this. Biblical submission is, has more to do with order and has nothing to do with ability. It's active, not passive. It is to be done voluntarily and joyfully not begrudgingly. In a word, in a bottom line, biblical submission is from the heart. Wives to uh, husbands, children to parents, slaves to masters, all of us to governing authorities. And in the context of wives, submission, biblical submission expresses itself in independent thought and intellectual vibrancy. I intentionally read the Proverbs 31 woman passage from verse 10 and forward earlier. In verse 26, we see that the Proverbs 31 woman opens her mouth in wisdom. Or we can even think here in the context of Ephesians, when back in chapter 4, verse 15, the Apostle Paul tells all of us to speak the truth to one another in love. The wives are part of that as well. I can think of my beloved Margie. Margie never was particularly keen or big on speaking at women's retreats or to ladies, but she would, by virtue of being a pastor's wife, she would be put in that position and she would do that. And I remember one time I wrote down a quote that she told this group of ladies. She said this, quote, there's no greater joy and happiness than when you're in God's will. And all of us in Christ would say amen to that. My beloved continued, and you are in God's will when you submit to your husband. Now, back here in Ephesians 5, 22, notice here, God commands wives to submit to their husbands, not to all men. He says, to your own husbands. 
So that's very key. So to be sure, there is a hierarchical role relationship between men and women in general, but the command here is to the individual wife to be in submission to her individual husband. And I love an illustration. I gave a little illustration to my beloved Margie. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary on this, brought out a powerful picture of just wrapping around this whole dynamic of the idea of submission not being on ability but on God's order. And this is what he said. He said, I sometimes think that one of the most wonderful things I've ever been privileged to witness was the following. It was my custom for a number of years to go and preach in a certain church in the provinces. And after preaching, to spend the night in the manse with the minister and his wife. And it was always most interesting for this reason, that it was so obvious to me on the very first visit that from the standpoint of sheer ability, there was no comparison between the husband and the wife. The wife was an exceptionally able and brilliant woman. Uh, the husband was not without his gifts, Lloyd-Jones said, but his main gifts were in the matter of personality. He was an exceptionally nice and friendly and kind and gracious man. But as regards sheer intellectual ability, there was no comparison. There was no question as to her ability, her grasp of intellectual matters. Her understanding struck me immediately and became more and more evident as I got to know them. But, and here's where he gets into the rub, but what I wish to say is that I do not know that I have ever seen anything more wonderful than the way in which that woman always put her husband into his true scriptural position. She did it in a very clever and subtle way. She was not only an able woman, she was a Christian woman. And she was putting into operation this principle that the husband is the head. She was acting as a helpmate for him. She had the qualities he lacked. She was complimenting, she was supplementing him. But the husband was the head and the children were always referred to him. She was, he finishes, guarding his position. Beloved, that's a beautiful picture of this dynamic. Now, from a practical standpoint, one of the things that I've often heard, even from godly couples, as to an, a manifestation of this, is, and I've heard this more than once, is, well, we were having a disagreement, and we couldn't c quite come to agreement, so uh, since the husband's the lead, then his decision is what took over. And I've heard that many times, and I was, I was even actually kind of surprised. I read that in many of the commentaries that I read this week and heard it in some sermons. And I don't think that's necessarily off base, but I don't think that is the best solution. As I think of my beloved Margie and myself, I can't remember where we ever had a situation like that. So what does this look like? Well, it's actually interesting because I have used the marriage relationship as an illustration of elder rule. And I'm going to turn that around a little bit now and use the elder rule as an illustration of this. In our elder board at Santan Bible Church, we don't take votes. We do everything based on unanimous decision. And you could ask the question, well, how does that work out? You guys don't always agree on everything. No, but the way that works out is we defer to one another. And there's been many cases. There was in our very, very early days when we were meeting in the afternoon, and it just so happened that the Super Bowl was taking place in the afternoon and the Arizona Cardinals were in the Super Bowl. And there were some that thought we should move the service time and there were others that 
thought we shouldn't. That's one example, but we defer to one another. Beloved, in the same way, in, if you get into that situation where you kind of do, well, the husband's decision is the one that has to be the fallback, there might be a better way. See if you can have unanimous decisions on everything by deferring to one another, by the kind of mutual submission that we studied and looked at in verse 21 as well. Well, that's the command, and we'll certainly have more on that because that goes all the way through all three of these verses. Now, let's look at a comparison. He finishes verse 22, as to the Lord. As, this is a simile. This is a comparison. And what we want to do here briefly is look at what this comparison is not and then what this comparison is. What is not qualified by this and what is qualified by this. So in terms of what this is not, beloved, this command to the wife has no bearing on the quality of her husband. In the same way, when God will, a couple verses, command the husbands, husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. That command has no bearing on the quality of the wife, nor does this one have any bearing on the quality of the husband. Rather, both are completely based upon the quality of your Savior, on the quality of the man, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so here, in these three verses, Paul doesn't give qualifiers or caveats or way of escape because he understands that he has already spent five and a half chapters plus laying down the foundation that equality in Christ is part of the basic foundation of Christianity. And here, to the Ephesians, Paul is even operating from a standpoint that the submission doesn't need a bunch of explanation. We can get one kind of bit of extra explanation when we go to the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3, verse 1. This is what Peter wrote. He said, in the same way, and the example point there is at the end of chapter 2 of 1 Peter, Peter was bringing out Jesus Christ and his submission and how he was reviled, but he did not return the revile with insult and how Jesus humbled himself. And then now as Peter addresses the wives, he says, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. So the point is the command, the call to submission has nothing to do with the response of the husband. And it's actually interesting. I often cite this verse by way of application, but I cite it way more often to husbands. Even though it's written to the wives, I use this as a verse to bring out the charge that God gives us as husband has nothing to do and is independent of the response of our wives. Well, Taken back here in Ephesians, in the context of this entire passage of 12 verses, the wives are called, again, in the context to follow their husband's loving leadership. The as to the Lord, the simile, the comparison is to Christ. And in the Ephesians road we've traveled so far, Christ's authority, as Paul has brought it out, hasn't been used to control the church. Rather, his authority has been used to reconcile the church to God at the cost of his own life. His voluntary abasement, humiliation, torture, and even death is the model for the husband. So again, taking this call to submission in the context of what God says to both the wives and the husband, the wife is called to submit to a husband 
who is called to die on a daily basis for his beloved gift, his beloved bride. But now zeroing in, as Paul gives us here, insofar as it depends upon her, the wife is called to follow her husband's leadership, period. Now, we do recognize that there are some husbands that have the domestic ethics of Jabba the Hutt. There, but given that reality, there's no if clause to the wives or to the husbands. You can think of, we teach our children, you should teach your children, don't say but after you make an apology. I, well, I'm sorry, but. Okay, when you say but, you just evaporated, you just eviscerated the entire apology. In the same kind of way, there's no if clause. He just says, wives, submit to your husbands. So that's what the comparison is not. What the comparison is as to the Lord, the wife, the godly wife, the Christian wife submits to her husband because ultimately she wants to glorify her Lord. And it's interesting, notice the end of each verse. After God gives us the command in verse 18 to be filled with the Spirit, in verses 19, 20, 21, and 22, look at the end of each of those verses. Verse 19, with your heart to the Lord. The end of verse 20, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, in the fear of Christ. Here in verse 22, as to the Lord. And then a preview of what's coming. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Or verse 29, just as Christ also does the church. Chapter 6, verse 1, children be obedient to your parents, finishes in the Lord. Verse 5, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters. And then the verse finishes, as to Christ. So, beloved, in the final analysis, it is always God. That is the comparison. That is the source. And understand this, too, that a wife's heart towards her husband always says something about the church's response to Christ, whether good or bad. And if a wife does not honor her husband if she has a defiant, independent streak. She proclaims that this is by virtue of her behavior. This is the church's behavior and response and heart towards Christ. And a wife's behavior towards her husband either makes the word of God more attractive or makes the word of God an object of contempt in the sight of her unsaved neighbors, family, co-workers, or friends. And Hear what Paul says to Titus. Paul has similar words to Titus, and he brings in an even more interesting, or at least I should say a different dimension. This is what Paul said to Titus in Titus 2, beginning in verse 3 through 5. He says, older women, then in verse 4, encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own households. Watch this. So that... The word of God may not be dishonored. Adorn the word of God. Adorn the gospel message. Adorn your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by these virtues. Now, we understand that there seems to be an almost endless number and new novel inventions and ways and marketing techniques and methodologies and strategies developed to win people to Christ. Beloved, the only true method is the active, accurate proclamation of the gospel coupled with 
by God's grace and mercy and the transforming power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, living a transformed life marked by godly virtue. And we could say at the human level for a person to be convinced that God truly can provide love, peace, and happiness, he or she needs to be shown someone who radiates these blessings. And may all of our relationships serve as an aroma of Christ before a watching world. So, beloved, there's a command, there's a comparison, and then at the beginning of verse 23, there is a cause. This is the reason, this is the justification. He says, for the husband is the head, for haughty. This is the because. This answers the question of why. Why did Paul say what he said back in verse 22? This is the reason why. This is the cause. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. And we've been going through Ephesians and we see this beautiful analogy of the church as the body of Christ. There are many analogies in Scripture that picture God and his people and Christ and his saved people. But this beautiful picture of a body is something that's unique in the New Testament. And as we look at what God has communicated in the earlier portions of Ephesians, we realize that this is a reality. We are not just the temple of God. We are not just the family of God. We are not the, just the building and the new country, the new citizenship that we enjoy, but we are the body of Christ. Therefore, that is what we are. We should act that way. We should be a body befitting the head. And what Paul does here is says, wives, be a wife befitting your husband. And look past that, a wife that is befitting your ultimate head who is Christ. And notice what Paul says here. Paul does not say the husband ought to be the head of the wife. He just states simply and matter-of-factly the husband is the head of the wife. Because what Paul is doing here is Paul is going back to creation from the very beginning. Paul is, in a sense, saying that God was thinking already of his son and the gift of God the Father to God the Son of a redeemed humanity when God spoke the universe into existence and then in particular on day six when he created man, male and female, man and woman, Adam and Eve. Beloved, marriage is infinitely ennobled by this comparison. And I like what John Stott said. He said, this is not chauvinism. This is creationism. Pause for a moment. Vince Lombardi, the historic football coach of the Green Bay Packers. In 1960, the Green Bay Packers made it to the championship game, and they lost the game at the very end of the play, at the end of the game. And all summer long or all whatever into the next season, surely all the players were thinking about this dynamic. And in 1961, when the team gathered back together with the great Lombardi, he did the classic example many of you may remember. He took a football, he picked up the pigskin, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. Back to basics. What Paul is doing here is he's saying, woman, this is a man. Man, Adam, this is a woman. And he's saying the masculinity and femininity differences, that, that there is a uh, there's an identity there that is unlike anything, even when God, back in Genesis 2, when God was bringing the animals to Adam before he created Eve, 
part of the purpose, one part, was for Adam to demonstrate his authority over the animals by naming them. But it was also to let Adam come to an experiential understanding that something is missing. He's missing someone. And when he saw Eve, he realized that was his other half. So there's an identity, there's a union that is unlike anything else in the created universe. But there are distinctions. There are physiological and psychological differences. God made man and woman equal, but not identical. Beloved, every cell in your body is stamped either XX or XY. And if we can maybe rescue the phrase, there's a large number of people that we would like to say, follow the science. Your cell is either XX or XY. The man and woman are equal before God, but they're not indistinguishable. And because gender and sexuality are part of God's creation, maleness and femaleness are good and meaningful. And men are men, not women. And women are women, not men. And even as we think more of Genesis chapter 2, you'll remember that when God first created the universe, everything was formless and void. It was tohu wa bohu, formless and void. And in days one through three of creation, God completed the formless part of it by separating light from the darkness and land from the dry sea and the waters below from the waters above. And then in days four through six, God completed the void nature of that by filling the separation the order he put in the first three days and during that time the heavens without luminaries were incomplete the seas without sea animals were incomplete the sky without wind creatures was incomplete the land without animals and man was incomplete but even as we looked at last week it was only man without a woman that god pronounces not good Genesis 2, verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. So in this whole dynamic of this ordered hierarchy based on creation, the equality is first and foremost. Eve was made from Adam's rib. Eve wasn't made from his skull, thus perhaps demonstrating superiority. She wasn't made from a, a foot bone, perhaps demonstrating inferiority. She was made from his side to come alongside him in carrying out God's commands. Both Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. Both are under the command of God with responsibility. Both are object of God's grace in Jesus Christ. So there is an equality and there is an ordered hierarchy. Adam was created first. Uh, the man was named Adam, was named man, which is also the term used to describe humanity. God charged Adam with authority over the animals before he even created Eve. Adam exercises authority. God told Adam he needs a helper. Eve is made from man. She's made after the man. She's made for the man, and she's brought to the man. And then before the fall and demonstrating the vested authority that God had given the man, the man Adam named Eve in his great excitement, in his poetic even outbursts that we looked at last week. This one, this one, this one is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And uh, when Satan defied this hierarchical order established by God, Satan went to Eve, went to the woman rather than to the man. But after the fall, God went to Adam first and addressed Adam first. Which, by the way, 
just a side application for that man it's a great reminder to us that when something is wrong in the house regardless of whose fault it is god knocks on the door of the husband first before he'll knock on the door of the wife back here in ephesians and actually in all of scripture the man is never told to control his wife the wife is told to submit to the husband there's not a word to men anywhere in scripture to put their wife in subjection to put their wife in submission no the man is commanded as we will see to love his wife to encourage his wife to come alongside his wife and by the way to grab another football analogy if you want to see a stiff arm have a husband come whining to me about his wife not submitting and you'll uh, and i'll be pastoral but i'm kind of <laughs> I'm kind of disclosing what, <laughs> anyway, what's really going on there. Well, back on task. Beloved, the, the fall perverted submission and authority, but the fall and even redemption in Christ does not reverse these. John Stott had another choice quote. He said this, The failure to understand and implement this very teaching is the cause of most of the problems in the world today. The chaos in the world today is due to the fact people in every realm of life have lost all respect for authority whether it's between nations in industry in the home in the schools or anywhere else in reality it all starts in the home and the married relationship william hendrickson another excellent commentator said a home without a head is an invitation to chaos it spells derangement and disaster we can even thank if you are here last week when I opened up the sermon message by pointing to what was in the big news, which was the Southern Baptist Convention, where they basically, by virtue of the vote of the new president uh, of the S Southern Baptist Convention, capitulated to the cultural demands and morals in opposition to the word of God around the subject of women pastors and elders. And someone might say, well, what's, what's the big deal about women pastors and women elders? And the big deal it is, is it's in direct defiance to the word of God. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 12 and 13, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. But then in verse 13, he says, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. So again, it all goes back to creation and a defiance of God's order in the church is a defiance of the word of God and is a defiance of even the most fundamental order of creation plan, good plan for the blessings of all that God put in place at creation. Well, that's the bad news. Let's lift up to the good news. Beloved, a loving husband and a joyfully submissive wife is like a slow dance the man leads the woman follows he initiates she responds both are absolutely necessary for the dance to happen both are equally essential and vital and important and when both fulfill their roles well it's a beautiful thing to behold and beloved god's purpose in marriage is to be a full expression of jesus christ back in chapter one the church, we understand, is an expression of Christ who fills all in all. I 
gave a quote back there that the church is an illustration, perhaps the supreme illustration in many ways of God's gigantic cosmic plan to restore harmony in every realm and sphere. And in the same way, and in one sense, even more importantly, even more fundamentally, marriage is an illustration, the supreme illustration of God's gigantic cosmic plan to restore harmony in all things. So, beloved, this is ordered equality based upon creation. Next week will be ordered equality based on redemption. I'm going to finish with two quotes. Ivor Powell, he was a British pastor. He said this, quote, A world without women would be a battlefield upon which men would die for supremacy. A masculine world only would eventually become an international graveyard. Powell continued, Men may furnish a house, but only a woman's touch can make it a home. Men may enjoy a sense of importance, but the luster of achievement is only made possible by women whose influence sometimes moves mountains. Or back and more to the biblical point, Proverbs 31, verse 10, the opening <coughs> statement of King Lemuel on the Proverbs 31 woman, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. Beloved, a good wife is a jewel of heaven. Wives, this is who you are, this is who you are to be. Single women, this is the kind of woman you should aspire to be. Single men, the, some of the virtues here, the applicable ones, are what you should aspire to be. And if you want to be married, this is the kind of woman you should look for. And husbands, keep loving, keep pursuing this kind of wife as she is your wife. And may we do this all for the glory of God in our eternal and temporal, right here, right now, joy. Please join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we praise you and thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your perfection. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your eternal plan of redemption. We thank you for your perfect act of creation. We thank you that you sovereignly even allowed sin to enter in to deplute your creation for your glory in a way that doesn't at all stain your perfect holiness. We praise you and thank you for man, male and female, men and women, husbands and wives. Thank you so much, Lord, for my godly wife in your presence in heaven now, worshiping you in perfect, perfect spirit and truth forever and ever. Thank you for the godly wives that are here. Thank you for the godly single ladies, the young ladies, the widows. Thank you for the men in our church, Lord. Help us to take your word, apply it to our lives for our joy, for your blessing, and for our witness to this world. This is for your glory and for your honor, Lord Jesus, that we pray, that we sing, that we do all these things. And again, your adopted sons and daughters say in unison, amen.